Hey listeners, this is William Sterling, and you're listening to the Killer Mediums podcast, where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today's topic is assembling collections, and we're joined by guests Robert Atone, Gordon B. White, and Larry Heinkel. We'll start with a broad discussion about horror collections in general, then we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into Creepshow, followed by discussions about each of our guests' upcoming collections themselves. There's going to be mild spoilers for all of these scattered throughout. We'll try to keep them pinned at one or two of the stories so we don't spoil the entire collections. But if you are wildly spoiler-averse, spoiler-averse, then turn back now. But with all of that said, here we go. Let's get spooky. Foreigners tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. How the hell are we doing tonight, guys? Good. Good. Yay. Yay. Woo! You, you still botched my name. I don't know why I said it that way, but yeah, good. You still botched my name, man. Damn it. Hinkle. Like, like the man who shot Reagan. <laughs> Immediately fired from this podcast. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> hey, even the host doesn't know who I am. <laughs> well, that's what we're diving into. So let's let's introduce ourselves to Amy, I guess, uh, and then the listeners. We're here to talk about horror collections today, but Larry, let's start with you. Um, who are you? What have you been up to in the horror community? Where might we know you? And a little bit about your collection. Yes, this is uh this is my my dated reference coming in. I feel like Admiral Stockdale. If any of you guys remember um um Ross Perot's vice presidential candidate, like who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> I am probably the least famous writer you've never heard of, but I do have a new a new collection coming out in uh in February. I've been I've been writing for probably 10 years or so now. After I wanted to start in college, but I got beat up really bad in class and quit for 30 years because I had very thin skin back then. But 30 years in advertising, thickened that shit up. So <laughs> I'm, I'm all better now. Um, I've I've made a, like two of the last three years. My my short stories have made the preliminary ballot on the Stokers. I mean, I haven't won like Robert or been nominated like Gordon. But, you know, all I can say is preliminary because they won't let you say you're a nominee because that's a whole nother you know, can of worms I don't want to open up. So anyway, I think that's that's enough about me. Yeah. Or, uh, can you name drop the collection and tell us just... Oh, a sorry. It's, it's called The Space Between. It's coming out in February from Trepidatio Publication, or Publishing, not Publication. I think we're all got stuff with Trepidatio and Journal Stone. That's how we ended up here, so... Okay, so I didn't know that common thread. Got it. I'm, I'm seeing the connective tissue now in a very Hellraiser sort of a way. Uh, Gordon, let's dive into you next. Uh, who are you? What's kind of your 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 niche in the horror community? And tell us a little bit about your collection, if you could. Sure. Well, my name is Gordon B. White. And the B stands for because there are other Gordon Whites out there who come up higher on Google search than I do. So <laughs> that's my distinguishing feature. Um, so I'm a Seattle-based writer of horror fiction, more or less. You know, more or less. I've had works nominated for the Shirley Jackson Award and the Bram Stoker Award. And in addition to writing, you might see me doing book reviews, interviews with other authors. And I'm also like dipping my toe now into teaching workshops. So I'm, I'm trying to get out there and uh, 
use those all as marketing opportunities. I mean, helping other people in the community while marketing opportunities. <laughs> oh, and my collection coming up is called uh, Gordon B. White is Creating Haunting Weird Horrors, which is named after the title story, Gordon B. White is Creating Haunting Weird Horror. So the difference is the collection has an S. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, and then last but not least, the man I made the mistake of inviting on twice, Robert Atone. <laughs> Who are you? Hello. Uh, I'm Robert P. Otone, Bram Stoker award-winning author of The Triangle. And um, I have a collection coming out from Journal Stone called Wrapped in Plastic and Other Sweet Nothings that comes out October 27th. And uh, I'm just happy to be here with two fabulous gentlemen, Larry, who I got to meet at StokerCon. We had lunch at an Italian place that seemed awfully expensive for Pittsburgh. And Gordon, who wrote one of my favorite short stories of last year and now has a whole collection named after that story, but with an S at the end of it. So this is really exciting for me to be here. I'm really charged up. Cheers. And uh, I want to do a brief aside for a second, because last time you were on here, um, you were Stoker nominated author Robert P. Atone. And we were celebrating that a little bit, and you were being super humble about it. Now that you're the winner, <laughs> um, anything to say to the haters out there? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope I don't have any haters, uh, but if I do, well, Gordon, I guess hates yeah, me. Yeah, you didn't see me. <laughs> they couldn't see me raise my hand when you said that. <laughs> I liked you when you were nominated, but now that you're cock of the walk, I'm a bit uh, over it. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. I'm not going to make you do this, but congratulations. I haven't actually talked to you since, so cheers. Well, good on you. Thank you. Thank you. It's still weird. It's still like settling in. It's it's very strange. It's a Where very strange that? experience. Oh, it's back there on your back shelf? Yeah. Yeah, right next to Aquaman riding Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, situated right where everyone should have their Bram Stoker Award situated. <laughs> Um, Mine will be right on our Robert shelf. <laughs> but um, uh, <laughs> so our topic for today is horror collections. Um, this is a weirdly broad topic because, like, when we first pitched it, I was thinking this would be this would be great and easy, and like we would just talk about a couple of the different ways you can approach collections, like themed anthologies versus non-themed anthologies. But then, as I was going through some of your stories and I was kind of looking at the anthologies on my shelves, it's like this is a whole a whole section of the horror genre, like. This would be basically be like if I had titled this episode novels. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, so we might be wildly all over the place today, but I am going to try to rein these thoughts in a little bit uh, and give us give us some targeted questions to talk about here. Um, first thing, uh, I want to I want to pose this question to you all: with assembling your collections. Um, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. So uh, Josh Mallerman, if you're listening in, I'm sorry for misquoting you because I'm sure I'm about to, but I've listened to a bunch of interviews with Josh Mallerman talking about writing novels. Uh, he's a musician. He talks about how there's kind of a beat and a rhythm to novels. 
Uh, you want to know when the quiet parts are to kind of draw the, the readers in. And then you want to amplify it for the bigger parts and you know, like really get the scares in and get the timing right on that. And it, it's all kind of treated very musically. When you all were assembling your collections, did you intentionally try to work in any sort of an ebb and flow to these things or do you come at collections as more of a greatest hits album like no i want every single one to be a banger um well what is your approach i guess first of all to this collection that you just put out and then second of all with collections in general what do you look for more something with big punches thrown in the middle or something that is just consistently solid straight through uh, and to keep from talking over ourselves, let me let me direct us to maybe Gordon first. Sure. Yeah, uh, I think a lot about the flow of something. Um, and it's funny, too, that Josh mentioned uh, like an album, because when I was putting together this collection and my collection before, too, like I, I think of them not just as albums, but sort of even as like double albums with sides like side A and side B. I am a big believer that stories and fiction are curated emotional experiences like roller coasters that you're guiding your audience through with ups and downs, peaks and valleys, rests and, you know, exciting portions. But I want that to carry too through the stories, through the reading of them. Um, I break my thing into like little chunks, like uh, three stories, four stories that I think go well together. So if you were going to read in an extended sitting instead of just like one story, which you're going to read two or three or four, you would still get a sort of up and down and feel like you've come to the end of a certain um, guided journey. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes I want to uplift, sometimes I want to depress. Um, you'd have that. And if you carried those charges across your different sittings, by the time you got to the end of the book, you would have been on a full emotional journey that I had intentionally guided you through these peaks and valleys, shown you new sites, hidden things from you, revealed stuff, and then left you. I try to leave people feeling up at the end so that even if it's slightly depressing, you still feel better about yourself. Uh, and then people come in and they just read them in any order and they just fuck everything up. So, you know, assholes. I mean, there's no wrong way to read a book. Um, okay. I love that. And on that note that you like to leave people on kind of, high notes uh happy notes i want to bring it over to rob for the response now <laughs> to bring us down a bit <laughs> uh i like to similar kind of vibe i like to put two or three heavy hitters and then i like to do a nice palate cleanser i think i think of it more like a meal than an album um so you know there has to be something that sort of breaks up the flavor so in this particular collection, I had um, I didn't it's interesting. I didn't have any like like true palate cleansers. So I just would have a story that maybe did not hit as emotionally wrecking as one before it. So it would be like a slight palate cleanse. So I have a um, like a one page. I don't know if you'd call it a I don't know if it's a drabble or whatever it is, but it's like a one page little short story or whatever. And uh, that's like sort of the first palette cleanser in that uh, in the new collection. And that's just a way to be like, OK, we've come past point A now to point B um, and just kind of goes from there. But with my previous collections, because a lot of those stories were original to those collections, my first collection, they were all original stories. Second collection, all of them except for one were original to that collection. Um, in this case, there's. I think it's seven, seven originals, 10 
republished ones or whatever. I think I don't remember, but because of that, it was a little harder to sort of figure out which one's the palaclins or which one's not. Cause some of the, the original stories in this anthology or uh, in this collection um, are probably some of the nastier, nastier stories. So, so yeah, I like to think of it like a palate cleanser or like a, um, a nice little cocktail or something in between, in between uh, meals. Okay. Uh, Larry, any retort to those or anything you want to like kind of build on? It's, 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 um, you know, this is the first collection I've done. So I just, I had a bunch of, um, little sticky notes up on the wall and I would just move them around and think this one looks pretty good here. You know, I, I write a lot of, a lot of horror comedy pieces, but I didn't want, you know, to be four or five funnies in a row and then come in with a necrophilia story. Although the Helios story is actually pretty funny. That's one of the funniest pieces I've ever written. So I, I put followed that up with a cannibal story, you know. So, but it, it's it's there's there's there, it goes funny, funny, then something more a little serious, and something maybe cosmic, then some more funny. I mean, I've got a drabble in there. You know, it's one only one hundred words, um, but it takes up a whole page. So that looks good for page. <laughs> so, um, but but I, I I think I ended on um. To me, the the last story is very is very a very hopeful ending. I mean, the, the person doesn't he doesn't get back to where you would hope he would get to, but I think he's okay with what happens at the end, and I'm okay with what happens to him at the end. And it 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 it, it, it make, that story makes me happy. It's probably my favorite story I've written to date, and I thought it was a nice way to. to I'm uh, I always kind of think too like. You know, I like the last story to be kind of a lead in to what I might have coming down the line. So mm -hmm. like the the last story in this particular collection is the title story wrapped in plastic is the last one. And it has some themes that kind of go in line with a project that I just finished um, that I can't talk too much about because there's some things, but it's uh, tonally it works. So following up on that, was that a choice that you made for the reader or was that something that helped you as the author? You ended this story on this one note and then you're in that mindset as you start writing the next thing. And it's just like it, it bleeds into the next thing because that's what I'm finding right now. I just finished editing and putting out a novel and I'm looking at the next outline that I have and I'm like, oh, shit, that's the same thing. Theme, not <laughs> thing, the same theme just kind of carried on to the next step. I'm like, I don't know if I did that on purpose or not. So like, was, was it intentional? Was that just your mind, uh, your, your headspace as you were wrapping up the collection and moving into the story? Or was that something that you were like, when the reader's done with this, they'll want something similar from me. So here it is. I think in my case, it's, it's definitely uh, maybe a little bit of both. I like to have let the reader know, like, hey, this is what is going to be coming down the line. So if you like this, stick around kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's also where my head was at at the same time, for sure. OK, it's funny because my last stories for my first collection and now my second one, like are very much ones that I think like close the door on it. I'm like, like, I find myself working with various themes. And definitely when I sit down to put together a collection, like it's not necessarily it's not chronological, like someone here were written before stories in my first collection but they fit better here uh and then so when i get to the end it's like that's it like i'm, I'm done with this topic <laughs> you know like i want to just close the door on this and next time you pick something up it's going to be something different um you know yeah i think that's just because i get bored with stuff and i'm just like fuck it we're out yeah 
I I didn't do it intentionally, but my last story, you know, see, I've never written anything longer than 5,700 words. And I want to try to write a novella. And I'm taking characters from um, Lost at Last, The Tunnel at the End of the Light, and The Space Between. And I'm putting them all as a sequel to their stories in here into a new novella that I'm starting now. And my plan is I'm going to have this... um, you know, my, my collection with me at AuthorCon next year and fingers crossed, I will have my novella with me then also. So, so yeah, ending it on Lost at Last actually kind of worked out, even though I had no intentions of doing it that way whatsoever. So now you make me want to go to AuthorCon if you're going to be there. You should go to that. I'm sharing a table with uh, Tom Deedy, who uh, oh. will have a lot of traffic that I can glom off of. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be me and my little book. Yeah. AuthorCon is a lot of fun. I, I went for one day last year i think i drank seven cosmos <laughs> and todd keesling and chuck Breyer had to help me back up to my room at the end of the night so that was great oh really that's yeah. crazy. i actually i kind of think i think i roomed with chuck last time i think mean, i must have been out drinking with someone else that night Cons. <laughs> um okay so the there's some other broad questions I could ask about collections right now, but I think I want to put them in my back pocket for now. And I want to try to get into some of these collections themselves so that we've got, we've got like a, a, a base point to, to pin all of our conversations. That makes no sense. The listeners, sorry, I'm an idiot, but um, we're going to start off by talking about creep show. Um, creep show is one of the longest running anthology series on TV, uh, and or movie. It has made a name for itself in the horror community by having a very particular style, uh, of approach to its episodes. Um, what we're going to talk about here is just the reboot that is on Shutter now. We've got a couple of episodes picked out from there to kind of set the standard for what are we talking about when we're talking about collections? Because I think even though this does sprawl across so many mediums of entertainment viewed as a whole, Creepshow is a collection in its own way. Um, so for you guys, um, what are our thoughts about Creepshow? Uh, in general, and then we have two episodes here that got nominated by somebody or another. I can't remember who nominated what at at this point, but we've got two episodes that were pitched. If anybody wants to dive into those a little bit for us, uh, maybe Larry, do we want to start with you this time? Uh, no, I didn't pitch either. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, do we want to start with you this time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think I pitched House of the Head, um, which I, I think is the first of uh, first thing that the new Creep Show did. I think it's the very first one and the first episode. The second uh, and, one the first episode. Say again. The second one in the first episode because the first one is Gray Matter, which they totally messed up. Oh right, okay. With um, Jigsaw and uh, Gus Spring, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh my. God, that's right. Yeah, not great. Uh, but, uh, House of the Head is by far, oddly enough, it's in the first episode and it remains the best segment that the new creep show has done. And um, it's so good. It's just, I don't, it's funny. I thought at the time that it was written by Josh Mallerman, that particular 
uh, short. I thought it was based on a short story by him, but it's not, right? It's not. I don't think it is at all. He wrote it. He's I don't know if it's based on a short, but he did get the story credit on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's just so damn good, and it's so creepy. And it really, I remember thinking, watching it at the time, that this has to be, like, because the first one was awful. And then that one comes on, and I'm like, okay, so if every one of these episodes, if one of them's terrible and the other one's really good, okay, that's fine. And it just has not been. <laughs> None of them have hit that high watermark of uh, Mallerman's episode, uh, in my opinion. There is one great episode. I think it was in the most recent season um, about a little kid who can make his monster models come to life to kill his stepdad. That one's quite good. Um, but other than that, I feel like the series is more miss than hit. But that particular episode is really strong because it deals with the idea of like, you know, traditional haunted houses kind of turned on its head in the sense that it's a haunted dollhouse. And that's creepy. And it, that's not even that's not like a wholly original concept, because really, at the end of the day, that's the inner room by Robert Aikman is essentially the same kind of idea is like a haunted dollhouse. But it's executed so well and it's just so creepy and so genuinely unnerving that it just works across the board in this new you know, presented format of the creep show television show. And I just wish they were all that good. You know, though, so I really like that one too. When I first watched it, I had the same reaction. I was like, oh man, 50% of this is going to be bangers. and We're in for a treat. I was not in for a treat. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, it does, you mentioned it subverts the, um, you know, not subverts, but it sort of plays with the haunted house trope by miniaturizing and making it this dollhouse. Um, but still maintains that weird, you know, very intense sort of spookiness as unexplained things moving around on their own. But what it does too is it violates the creep show formula because <laughs> the creep show formula is very much indebted to the Stephen King, like, you know, if you see an asshole, he's going to get dead by the end of the fucking episode. Like, they're all like that. They're all these ones where there's, you know, some, you know, some jerk and the jerk gets their comeuppance. And like, that happens in all of them. Some of them, it's like not so bad, but it's just such a formula that happens again and again. But this house of the head, it's not moralizing. There's no like, you did this and invited this upon you. There's no, you are suffering or there's no like, this is the lesson. It's just some weird shit that happens. And I love that. Like it really, like by eschewing that, you know, typical narrative formula, both of horror stories at large, but also to what Creepshow really leans into of punishing bad actors. It's something completely different. And so I, I was really into that as well. Yeah, there's there's definitely a sense of karma to the to the creep show um formula, I think. Like you said, there's always a bad guy and he always gets it at the end. But I think some of the some of the better episodes in Creep Show, like you said, Gordon, get away from that that formula. You know, House of the Head doesn't have that. It's got, you know, Judith from um from Walking Dead. And she like, gives the house away. Here you go. You can have the little deadhead now. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> there, there, there was one, one of my favorite ones was on, I think it was the next to last episode of season three. And it was an animated one. I think, uh, I think Daniel Krauss wrote it. And it was about um this, this, basically this, this, this hell gate opens up in a city every 100 years. And I, I know why they had to animate it because they obviously couldn't on their budget shoot something like that. But there was no real you know, karma to it. It was just a good kick-ass monster story, you know. So it, it, it got away from the from the creep show formula as well. And I, I think maybe they're better off doing that. Well, so not to jump ahead, but one of the other ones we talked about or we're going to talk about was by the silver water of Lake Champlain, 
which is um it's based on a story by joe hill except when i watch it when i watched it i was like well i, I kind of like what they're going for i like lake monsters i think they're like you know sort of the ridiculous local cousin version of the sea monster sea monsters are big and impersonal but everybody's got a little lake monster with you know a straw hat and like overalls that they wear um but in the creep show one I, I went and i read the actual story the actual story is much like what we're talking about there is no moral sense there uh these kids find a dead plesiosaur on the beach and you know they sort of interact with it and it's how they sort of either deal with it or don't because they're too young to understand what it means and then in the end one of them gets dragged away when the mama plesiosaur comes back and takes it and that's it there's no morality there nobody's being punished but in the creep show version now it's like a girl and her boyfriend and an abusive stepdad who's going to beat up the boyfriend and going to kill him. And then like the plesiosaur comes in and eats him at the end. And they, they took a story that had those getting away from the moralization, the sort of, you know, karmic, the karmic one plus one equals two assholes dead thing. And then they just shoved it back into that box. And so all the neat little ends get cut off the, the side. So I wonder, but, yeah, it just keeps coming back like that. I wonder if there's something, you know, because the Creepshow movies all had that as well. But even um, Monsterland, which is, a, in, in my opinion, a better anthology series than Creepshow, which only got one season, which is criminal. But even that took some of Ballingrud's work and moralized it a little bit. And I wonder if this is more along the lines of like, well, to make it palatable for the normies... We have to have a bad guy get his comeuppance, which, like, you know, is interesting sometimes. Like, it's interesting when Leslie Nielsen <laughs> gets his in the Creepshow movie. Like, that's great. And it's great when the dude gets eaten by roaches and whatnot in the Creepshow movie as well. Uh, or whatever, eaten by roaches. He's obsessed with cleanliness. He's a prick. That yeah, guy gets filled you know, with the roaches and they come out yeah, at the end. There you go. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. That's awesome all day. I'll take it. But, like, we don't need a drunk dad to like get his in the end, you know, of a story like that. And it's interesting too, because in the animated uh, episode, they did a Joe Hill story in that as well. And it was like going to a zombie circus or something. And in that one, I don't remember there being a moral lesson. It's just a family who doesn't think that these are real zombies. And it turns out they're real zombies. So like, I guess you could make, <laughs> You can make the the uh, uh, you know leap of logic that like, well, they got theirs for taking advantage of the undead, but it's like, is that really a moral stance? Because they were innocent, and the girl is innocent that ends up dying at the end of that animated one too. So I don't know. Like I feel like they they want to have their cake and eat it too sometimes, uh, but especially especially in that one <laughs> in the Lake Champlain story, it is rough. Well, it's funny, too, because you mentioned Ballingrud and Monsterland. Um, and, you know, Monsterland I, I liked a lot. I had some issues with it, you know, with the adaptations. Nathan mm -hmm. Ballingrud can do no wrong. But he has another, like, really good lake monster story that's sort of the exact same thing, the titular North American lake monsters of his first collection. And that one is, like, again, like, there's no moralizing. It's, it's coming into contact with this weird thing and, like, trying to sort of process it, you know, kind of, like, how it, you know, affects people to see it and interact with it. And the different ways, and that I think is amazing, and that's the really like weird stuff that I like. I love when people interact with something or they come up with an experience, and rather than having to deal with it formulaically or you know fall into a pattern that we see time and again, they have to shift how they 
react to the world or how they approach life. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I think if you're going to be doing a big budget, you know, anthology series, probably you get a lot of studio notes saying, no, man, you got you to gotta have somebody get some comeuppance or else you're going to have no budget. Yeah. Yes. All, all this being said, I would still take Greg Nicotero's call if he wants to, you know, to um, give me a ring. I would gladly write something for your show, Greg. <laughs> I, I always think of the john carpenter where they asked him how he feels about the halloween remakes and stuff and he goes i think they're fine i just hold out my hand and they put a check in it <laughs> that's totally good yeah but he smokes some weed and plays sonic the hedgehog and makes some music so you know let's do it. <laughs> yeah so this this whole episode every single show note i wrote if y'all are <laughs> looking at those right now i tried to I tried to rope everything into theme, but I think you guys are using a much better word for it here with formulaic and formula um, because Creepshow doesn't really have a theme that runs through it, but it does definitely have an approach that it likes to stick to. And it does, it, all of the stories seem to hit very similar beat points. And I think that's just very contrary to what horror is as a genre. We like surprising you. We like, subverting your expectation so if we know the beat points within the first three minutes of an episode that <laughs> mildly defeats the point um but i think this is a good launching point to get into our collections now so we've ragged on creep show just a little bit um uh, <laughs> we we I, uh, I, won't, I won't put words in your mouth i still love it for what it is sort of ish kind of so I've watched every episode of it. So yeah, I still like it. I just I just wish I liked it more. Well, I, th I think too, with the formulaic stuff and what we've been talking about is like, it goes to show the importance of variety in a collection. Like these things on their own are fine. And if they were coming on like once a week, like Are You Afraid of the Dark used to, I would have far fewer problems. But it's when you watch them in sequential order, thanks to the uh, binge watching brain rot we've all suffered as a collective, uh, then you start to notice these things. And that's when they start to get a little bit iffy. Which again, though, when you make a collection, you got to think about because, uh, you know, hopefully someone's going to sit down and read it all and not just read one and then throw your book in the trash. You know, that's a good point. It's like Tales from the Crypt on HBO was also very formulaic, but it was only once a week. So you didn't notice it as much. And you didn't have DVR. So unless you could figure out how to use the VCR, like some sort of genius. What was that? Like 1% of people were watching this more than one episode <laughs> at a time. <laughs> Maybe that's just my house or nobody can use the PCR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's let's use this as a as a segue into our collections now then. So um if we're trying to avoid being too formulaic, trying to avoid giving us the same story over and over, um y'all's collections do a very good job of that while also still having um I don't want to say themes because none of the three of y'all's collections are themed anthologies which is a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down um but they do have distinct i would like to say voices um the the one that really stood out to me and the the person i'd like to jump into first here uh gordon uh a lot of your stories that i read rode this same line of haunting and weird which is so appropriate <laughs> um but let let's do a little bit of a deeper dive into your collection right now because i think that haunting and weird thing could have been formulaic maybe in the wrong hands 
Um, but I thought you did a very cool job of approaching it with a way that your stories were instantly recognizable, but none of them felt the same. Um, so kind of what, what was your approach to these stories? How did they come together? Um, giving you a little bit more of a direct question, I guess. Did you sit down and write these stories for this collection? Is this an amalgamation of other stories that you had pulled together? Um, kind of tell me about your process here. Yeah. Well, so this is collected from um, from for many years. So I, I didn't intend to put this together as a collection. Um, my first collection was different. Like that one, I, I wanted to be more closely themed sort of around the idea of, you know, um, a recognizable real world intruded upon by like a dark speculative element, but leaning more towards horror. Because I figured at that point, like I wanted, I wanted people who were looking for horror, but didn't know who I was to find that. And now you can tell from the way I have my name in the title of this book, that I'm, I want people who are looking for a story that I write to come to me. <laughs> um, and it's funny you mentioned too, feeling like they're like of a piece because uh, they, I didn't think they were. I thought this was very unthemed until people start talking about it and they go, oh no, I see the through line. Um, but for me, what it is, is it's really much like, I take the idea of narrative voice incredibly seriously. Like I think a lot about like um, authorial presence. I feel think a lot about narrative voice and like what it requires, like how each of my narrators, like I, I do have a very solid conception of who they are, who they're telling the story to, why they're telling it, what their opinion is on the things they're seeing, you know, what their vocabulary is, what their sort of like worldview is. And even though that's never on the page, even with third person narrators, it's all coming through. And so I channel that through very much to try to have a very intentional, um, guided, you know, narrowed in experience. Uh, and, but also too, like I, I, I intend to very much like leave space and jagged edges. Like I, I think the narratives that are too nicely wrapped up tend to sort of slip out of your brain. You need to leave the burrs and you need to leave the area for the reader to fill themselves into. So it's funny that that you know having those underlying themes and conceptions comes out in terms of them being uh, at all recognizable. Because I do try to do very different narrative voices, but I guess that sort of concern with craft, I'm glad to see comes through. And then let's dive into um, one of your stories here. Um, the 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 lead story in your collection is Gordon B. White is writing haunting weird horror. Uh, my first question for you, could you please come get these cat whiskers out of my house? The postcard arrived and I don't like it. <laughs> um, but a real question. Um, okay. Tell us a little bit about this story and kind of how it came into being. Yeah, so this one is um, for people who haven't read it, but are going to buy the book as soon as they hear this. It's a, a second person story about you, the you in the second person, uh, subscribing to the Patreon of well-known and award-nominated horror author, Gordon B. White. And you get a perk, which is called uh, Lesser Known Haunted Houses or something, Postcards of Lesser Known Haunted Houses. And so every month you get a little postcard with a microfiction on the back of a ghost, um, but things go badly and the ghosts don't stay in the houses they were from. They might be infiltrating your, your reality. Uh, but that one, you know, because when I think about weird and horror, that's sort of something that I, I think a lot about. And for me, something weird is like, is something that puts the audience, the reader off kilter. Like I, I don't read very many things for comfort. Like I don't have comfort reads. I don't reread things a lot. I don't 
I don't have like many comfort watches. Like I, I don't like being comfortable. I like things that like <laughs> disrupt me and push me out of my like, you know, comfort zone. And so sometimes I like to do that. Uh, I like to do that through my work too, my stories. And part of that is in the narrative. Like this one has a lot of very strange ghosts and like little micro fictions and drabbles that I think, you know, are supposed to be like haunting to people. Um, but also too, the structure of it is very meta. It's very strange. Like it blurs the line between you know, you, the reader, and you, the you in the second person, and me, the author, versus me, the author insert in that character, in that story. And I think that's also what I, I like to do. Like, I like to have these different layers of things that are playing around. Because I want to, like, sort of put the audience, like, on the wrong foot. And then I want them to catch themselves and have a good time, but come out of that with, like, a slightly different view on things in the end. So this one was was a way... I mean, the boring story is that I misread a, a call and I thought they were looking for stories about haunted houses, but they were looking for some other thing. So I wrote this whole thing about all these little tiny haunted houses. Um, but then it got filtered through my esoteric bullshit. And so that's <laughs> where the uh, nonsense with the uh, the second person and the metafiction all comes in. Yeah. So something I really liked about this story and especially for this episode was we're talking about horror collections here. And even within this one story, it felt like you had a collection of micro fictions, like you said, like a, like a yo dog. I heard you like collection. So I put collection. <laughs> um, and it was, it was awesome. Just the, the array of scares that you managed to build into just this one very concentrated short story. I, it, it was very cool and just bravo. It uh, was, it was actually a function of laziness as well, because I had like, I'd, I'd been wanting to write like a Matthew M. Bartlett type story. And I like, I can't do that. So the best I could get was like this image of these like heads, these bearded men's heads in a closet with like radio dials in their mouth. And I was like, I'm never going to write a story about that. I was like, oh, but I could just write a story with just that. And I was like, and then I could come up with some other tiny things too. And I wouldn't even have to write a whole story. I could just come up with an idea and then people would read about it and then they'd make it up in their head and they'd think, oh, that's a really cool idea. I'm glad I came up with it. But they came up with it, suckers. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is how you do it. No, but this is what I was, I was talking about though, with like liking to leave blank space for, for readers. Like, I have a friend and he conceptualizes it when he writes a story. He's like, I always want to have like one moment of something that's really cool and just doesn't get explained so that they're always wondering about it. Like afterwards, they're always thinking like, oh, I really wish I, I knew more about that. And so that's what I was trying to do. I just go jam a bunch of those in there and then let the reader sort of do the work for me. Um, I want to use this story as a launch point to go over towards Larry. Um, so... Gordon, whereas your story was um, in theory very personal because it was written about your Patreon page, um, Larry, the story that you pulled from your collection and recommended for the episode or, or stories, uh, um, the space between, or sorry, the space between is the name of the collection, uh, Lost at Last and The Tunnel at the End of the Light. Both of those stories are very personal in a very personal way um so i wanted to use this as a kind of joking segue for we've gone from gordon haunting us to you pulling out our heartstrings here can you tell us a little bit about your collection and about these two stories especially well first i'd love to say, like to say i loved gordon's story i thought that was i remember i think it was a nightmare that i saw i read it first and just it was so so good so that was that was that was really cool um, you know, I, 
these these stories for me are they're both personal because they're both semi autobiographical and i think that's why these stories mean so much to me because i write you know you know i don't write fancy prose i'm not going to win any any awards for 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 flowery descriptions or anything i think like like as as lee murray and her lord from my book just said you, you know the space between is in every man's collection and that's that's pretty much my writing style which is very just straightforward kind of pulpy a lot of horror comedy um but these two stories, they both helped me. Each of them was written after the death of one of my dogs. The, t- the tunnel at the end of the light was at the, after the death of my dog, Coco. And Lost at Last was after the death of my dog, Sammy. And so for me, writing these stories helped me process through that a lot because I have I have a really hard time with grief, you know, especially especially with my dogs. I still... I still tear up every every week or so over Sammy. And that was that was four years ago because, you know, she was she was my best buddy. She was the one who would curl up underneath my desk when I was writing and just she she wrote with me. And and so it, it was just hard. Um, the, the, the 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 tunnel story, actually, that one is is so much of that story is true because I actually was at a writer's retreat at the Stanley just a couple months after I put my dog Coco down. Um, and there were there were copious amounts of drugs and alcohol ingested. Um, I actually I actually took this story to um to Borderlands a few years ago and several people commented, I really like the story, except there's no way that person did that many drugs and drank that much. I'm like, yeah, they did. Thank you. Trust me on this. They did. I mean, I don't anymore, but at, at that time dealing with my dog, I, I, I was having a really hard time with it. I mean, I'm not going to tell you whether my meeting with, with the canine Reaper, you know, the Reaper of doggy souls is real or not. It might be, it might not be. Um, but it just, I don't That was just, that was just a really, a really bad time for me. And, and, and when Sammy, Sammy went, um, Oh my God, Sammy was awful because she had she had Coco just died of old age. Um, Sammy had lung cancer, and we had half of her lung removed. And she was um, she was getting better, and then she got pneumonia, and she ended up she ended up, up dying from it. Um, and 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 she was at the vet clinic in Iowa. This one we were living in Omaha at the time. And it was like a three and a half hour drive each way to go to Iowa State University, where they had because that was the only place they could do the surgery that we wanted, you know, we wanted done for her. And, um, you know, I was just, I was just having the hardest time with that. And we were at, um, I used to live in Colorado. And one year I was up at, I was up at Breck and um, I saw this, this t-shirt that I loved. It was just an illustration, the back of a, of, of a hiker and their dog in the mountains. And it just said lost at last. And I thought, I mean, unfortunately, the shirt was too small for me because I was kind of chubby at the time. <laughs> but I bought it for my wife because I liked the shirt so much, you know. And and I just I just thought, you know, I, I if if there were a heaven to me, that would be heaven, just being in the woods with my dog forever. But I don't want to write a, a a heaven dog story. Yuck! I mean, who wants to read that shit? So <laughs> I wrote something cooler where this guy goes out in the woods with his dog and he goes through a thin spot into another reality that's constantly changing around him. That's got all these different, you know, cultural bleed ins from our world and everything. And that's a really that's a really cool story. And he's still lost with his dog, 
you know, he's still lost forever with his dog, but it's it's him and his dog and they're together, you know. That's what my that sorry, it, it makes me sad. Yeah, so um getting a little bit away from the collections theme here, and this is potentially a hard question, so feel free to pass if you want to. Um, but writing stories that are personal in that way, do you find writing stories where your heart is bleeding through, do, do you find those easier or harder to write than I'm making up this character, they're off in this thing, and I'm just going to invent scenarios for them? It's it, it's harder sometimes because you can't see the page. We had too many tears in your eyes. You know, that that's kind of hard. Um, but it, 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 you know, I wrote, I wrote Lost at Last in like eight days. I mean, I just, I just pounded through this thing and it, it was, that's, I think that might be the fastest I've ever written anything of that, of that length. And it, it, it really helped me. It helped me a lot. I mean, you know, I, then I go right back and I write like a funny cannibal story, you know, I just, cause I, I can't help that fun. Funny is just my fallback. You know, I mean, I, I started, I started writing horror comedy I think it's because I, I I'm an advertising copywriter and I've written funny radio spots for 30 years. So I, I I'm not the most confident writer, but I know I can write funny dialogue. So then you throw some scary shit in it and you got a good story. So, but I like I like you know I wanted to challenge myself. And then these these two stories I just I just really needed to write, you know, and and it it it, it is harder. It it's really hard letting someone else read it because you know it's it's. How how are they going to take? Are they going to think different of me because so much of me is in this story? You know, they're they're you know the, the, a story about like you know Halloween kids ripping open another kid's stomach. Yeah, I'm in that story, and they're they're gonna they're gonna laugh. Yeah, that's a, that's a Larry story, but something like this is just so personal that it's 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 scary putting it out there. But I'm really I'm really proud of both of them, and and I I hope people like them. Yeah. Well, one. I don't know if that answered your question or not. I'm I sure. liked them. They were very well done and very heartfelt. <laughs> and I, I felt like, I, I don't know. I, I hope this gets across as the compliment that it is. But I felt like I got to know you a little bit through your stories, um, which you know, not always the case with with authors or with very short stories or things like that. But, Thank yeah. you. Um. So then bringing this train over into Robert Station. Um, so let's let's get wrapped in some plastic here. Um, the uh, first of all, the cover for this thing, that fucking eyeball keeps following me every time I pull up Twitter and or Instagram and or X or social media is a hellscape right now. Um, kudos on the cover. I hate it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, talking about this collection as a whole, um, I asked you for kind of a theme for the collection. And your first response to me was that it was gradually getting darker. Okay. Yeah. You came back a couple of emails later and said somebody else has described it as horror through grief and love. Uh both of those feel very appropriate to me after the stories that I've read through them. Um, and I guess my question, sort of kind of piggybacking on some stuff we've already been discussing, how intentional were those themes? How intentional was 
uh, gradually getting darker as we go through the short stories? How much thought did you put into that versus how much it was that just kind of it came together that way? And that's what people are seeing in it. So there were originally, I think, three or four lighter stories in the collection. And then in conversations with Scarlett at Journalstone, uh, my editor, um, we it kind of emerged that like I, I didn't want to have those lighter stories in there anymore um, because the original title of the of the collection was not going to be wrapped in plastic and other sweet nothings. It was good. I had a different title and I might still use that title, even though my wife does not like it. So I don't want to say what it is, but it it was supposed to be like there was supposed to be a, a little more light bleeding into the darkness. Like I was kind of thinking of that, like final line in True Detective when he's like, you know, oh, I, it's a lot of darkness out there, but there's a lot of light, too. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking originally. And then I was like, no, nah, the lights more of the lights got to go. And so that's kind of where that um, began to change. So I had like a really one of my favorite short stories that I've ever written um, is kind of this like sweet middle grade ghost love story thing. Uh, and I really love that story a lot. And it was in like a comedy horror anthology. But I was like, this just doesn't fit anymore. So I wrote the wrapped in plastic title story. And then um, that was like about where I felt it needed to be that kind of darkness. And that's why that closes it out. And it, you know, like I said, goes into other things. But yeah, no, it was originally much lighter. Okay. So then when you decided that it wanted to go dark, coming back to that quote about gradually getting darker and kind of uh, echoing the conversation that we had with Gordon a minute ago, did you write those stories? with the idea that okay this one's going to be a light one and then we'll go to a dark one and then or did you just kind of have the stories around and then you arranged them so that they were going lighter to darker or what was that i guess what was the process of picking the batting order for this one right so yeah the the stuff that's in there that i i included in the collection uh stories that are original to the collection are all much darker than the ones that were in there originally and, and not all of them specifically but there's you know i'm thinking i'm i'm looking at the table of contents while i'm talking to you but like you know th there's a story in here um that's called nibble and that's a really dark gross one and that was a later addition to this uh collection which ended up replacing the uh the one that i mentioned before about the middle school ghosts and then the wrapped in plastic one capped it all off because it was actually going to be a shorter collection too but wrapped in plastic made its way in there and i decided to put in at the sort of at the last minute the story for the gods which is the story i don't know if anybody saw on twitter today that made brennan lafaro cry so that's pretty cool um <laughs> so i'm pretty proud of that but uh you know, that one came in uh, for the gods is the one that went in there at the last minute. And that one's got some light in it. That's like the probably the brightest, like most hopeful story in there, because it's about realizing who you are and just being who you are and being comfortable with the skin that you're in um, and evolving in a way that's healthy, um, even when dealing with, you know, things uh, that are pretty horrific. But 
that one was the the last edition. The wrapped in plastic title story is was when we decided what the title would be and finding the cover around the same time, um, which was crazy that like I found that and then the story was already emerging and I was like, oh, this is a problem. I have to go with this now. <laughs> so uh, kudos to Don Noble for nailing exactly what I wanted um, for the cover, including that eye. Cheers. And also cheers for making Brendan LaFaro cry. Anytime we get a chance to do that. No. <laughs> um, okay, so then the the story that you kind of isolated for us to talk about today was a morning in Sleepy Hollow. Uh, this is the leader for the collection. So I'm interested to know kind of how that came to be, but also a uh, question about this story feels very unique to me in that you are building on an existing intellectual property. All of these characters are already established by, you know, um, you know, pop culture and everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we know who these characters are walking into the story. And then you also manage to add your own voice to that. So I guess, one, could you speak to why you chose to lead the collection with this story? What do you think a leader in a collection needs to be? And then two, after that, kind of in the back of your mind, uh, what is it like to take a pre-existing intellectual property and to try to make it your own? Where do you need to draw the lines between staying honest to what's been built before and adding your own personality and your own flavor a little bit? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of reasons I started with that one. I Langan likes to start his collections with the longer works and everything I do is to pay homage to the king. So I start my collections with the longest work um, as well. And I steal all of my naming conventions from John Langan, too. So, um, right, Gordon, I see you want to. I, I was. That's what I did with my first one. And for this one, I was specifically, because my original title was something, something, and other nouns. And I was like, no, I can't do it again. People are going to think that I'm, they're going to be like, oh, you go too too often to the Langan well. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, but no, I, I know it's always like, oh, he doesn't. He's so good. I want to do it too. Maybe that'll yeah, work. I, my cover's not done or anything yet. So I've been trying to come up with a second little add on to my title too. <laughs> <laughs> do it it's awesome <laughs> but so but that's funny because like my original title was just something 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 and and there was no other langan naming convention at all but i'll come back to it. i'll use that eventually i'm sure but um so yeah i start with the longer story uh my last collection started with a novella the one before that started with a novella so i wanted to have a morning in sleepy hollow kick it off but um so I'm I'm a member of the Washington Irving Society. Like I'm Washington Irving is very dear to me. Um, he was kind of America's first like rock star in a lot of ways. Like he was like sort of the first celebrity. And I kind of love that uh, about him. I've been to his house a million times. Um, my dad is actually from Tarrytown. Like his heritage goes back to Tarrytown, Sleepy Hollow. So like I kind of like it's in my veins, like Washington Irving and, and his uh, what he's created is always inside me. And I had had this story in mind. Uh, I wrote an original draft of it in 10th grade. And then I came back to it because I was like, now's the time because there was an open call for like a Halloween story. And I was like, got you. And I finally wrote it and it got accepted. And it's in a really fun anthology called Jay is for Jack-O-Lantern. 
but now it's the lead in this uh, collection. I'm really happy about that because it was also it was there was a lot of fun um, research that went into this story too. Like there's there's not a ton of uh, historical documentation about the uh, Native Americans who were in that region around the time of uh, the American Revolution because they migrated west pretty quickly. However, I was able to reach out to the Mohegan tribe in Connecticut and they sent me PDFs. They were very supportive and like super helpful with like everything they had about the nations that were there. So I was able to really do a lot of stuff that um, I was able to put into the story. So like the name Yodo on it, for example, is a real um, figure in that particular uh, belief system. He is the God of fire, essentially. Um, or you could also say the like God of destruction uh, as well. They kind of go hand in hand. But it was important for me to get that story out and like to sort of write a love letter to Washington Irving. And I've always wanted to know how the town reacted to the school teacher vanishing overnight, seemingly. And uh, it's not my first time uh, going to Sleepy Hollow. I was able to revisit Sleepy Hollow in a middle grade book that I just finished. So I'm really it's still in me. It's going to be in me forever, I think. I think maybe in the future, a whole thing about Sleepy Hollow might come out of me. Um, but I think I, I want to get a little I want to refill the bucket a little bit more before I do that. Can it come out of you in a novel way, right? Not like a physical The Exorcist puking up. Either one. <laughs> Ectoplasm, like a big jello thing <laughs> merging out of you, jumping on a horse and riding away. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> I'm going to extrude something about Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> Flaming heads and jack-o'-lanterns. And, uh... <laughs> okay, so we, we've we gone through, and also, side note, you all are the first panel that has just, like, kind of, like, gone through one person, then the next, with no, like, screaming at each other and overlap and shouting back and forth. This has been very segmented and, like organized and this is so unlike me in the show and everything else this is weird i feel like we've let you down um, <laughs> are we being are we being chastised fuck you gordon off. fuck you okay like bunch of bitches <laughs> but no just just kind of stepping back and giving you all the floor to talk to each other a little bit you've all got collections coming out from um the, the same and similar publishers and you are you all know each other a bit i think this is the first time the three of you have been in a forum together so do you have questions you want to ask each other about this process uh just kind of me stepping back and opening the floor here rob yeah um so i i've only written one story in second person this specifically i guess for gordon but like when you mentioned before, like the, the idea of like throwing the reader off like quickly, I feel like second person is the perfect way to do that because you don't see it very often. Um, was it like was that a conscious thing to choose second person in that story or like, I mean, I've read some of your other work and I, you know, I'm a fan of yours like before I met you, but I'm just I'm so entranced by second person. And when people can do second person really well, I'm just like drinking from the altar or whatever you want to say so 
um again like was that a conscious thing for you to be like i'm going to explore second person and is that something that you want to do more of in the future so yeah it's very conscious like uh it's something i started so this collection has three second person stories which is probably a lot um <laughs> but they they it's something i've been thinking about a lot like the first time i used it um was in the story from october vines which is in my this new collection and that i did it uh, sort of as a way to guide people but i think i think it's it's true because the second person you think would be the most sort of intimate because you're drawing the reader in but it all it's one that people chafe against the most and i think it's because readers hate being told what to feel or what they did like if somebody as soon as somebody goes like you did this they go no i didn't as soon as they you say you felt this they go oh fuck you like they hate it and so like there i've been working more and more that thinking about like how how does a successful second person narrative bring people in like what can you do and this is where i come up with this idea of space like leaving space for people um because my story godhead in here like I went through and I was thinking very much of something like a like a silent protagonist video game like a Bloodborne or a Dark Souls, where you your character interacts with people because there's dialogue. They'll say things like, I need you to do I need you to go to the undead burg and ring the bell. Let me know when you're back. And your character avatar never says anything, but you as the as the person go, Well, fuck you, I'm not doing that. But then you do it anyway. Or you say, Well, of course, I'll do this for the good of the the order, and then you do it anyway. And it's that that empty space that the person experiencing it, like even though the narrative is fixed, the dialogue is fixed, it's that that ability to fill it in for themselves that I think really draws people into that. So with this story, I with Godhead, it's a, a second person mercenary assault on a giant corpse of a deity in a valley. Um, I, I intentionally like do not put any emotional affect in there at all. Like the event, like the narrative, people talk to the character. And they respond silently, but I leave that for the reader to fill in. Like there's events that I describe because all the, you know, the narrative events have to be fixed. You can't destroy that events. Um, but none of them have like emotional charge. Like all of that's there for the reader to fill in. Uh, and then I have a story coming out in this uh, Dead Letters, this epistolary horror anthology that I think is like the penultimate. I say penultimate because I want to leave myself to later have the ultimate version of like my exploration of this. Um, because it's a story that's told in like bits and fragments of somebody being led around on a quest. But again, like all of it is just blank space for the reader to fill in. And it's either going to work really well and draw people in, or it's going to just totally alienate them for, for making them do the work. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, second person I'm obsessed with and, and I love, and it just, oh, man. So, sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all, like when it's done right, it's just, it's so goddamn good. Oh my God. There's so um, much to, to play with and do. It's great. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard to find it when it is done right, though. I, right. I, 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 I love this story because it's it's done so well. You, sometimes you read it and, like you said, you're like, I, I would never do that. Ah, set the yeah. book. No, I'm not a stupid author. And you, it's funny too because <laughs> you mentioned the video game thing, and it's like every video game is second person, every single one, and it's just yeah. if you don't make that connection because, like. When I mean video games starting out with like text adventures, you see this in front of you. What do you do? And it's and it's literally second person. And then you know you look at like the ultimate version or the ultimate subversion of it in like Bioshock. You know, yeah. would, would you kindly? And it's like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna go do that, no problem. <laughs> and it's like, no, dummy. But it's just it's so weird that we think that like 
something's wrong with second person and it's so jarring for some readers but again like i i i love it i can't get enough of it shoot it into my veins but um speaking of veins i have a question for larry as well yeah okay so <laughs> so like with all the emotion in your collection and everything, how much time do you need to recharge before you do another one? You opened up one vein, you got to let it heal first before you rip it open again, right? Um, before I do another, well, that's a tough question. I, I mean, I'll follow that segue until you wrapped it up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are really, I think those might be the only two personal stories i've written and they were written several years apart mm -hmm. i mean i finished the one and just immediately went into to something else because i had to take my mind off of everything i had just put myself through um so i you know frankie's only seven years old and and molly's only four so so knock on wood i don't have to write another one of these stories for a long <laughs> oh. Time. oh my god <laughs> i know what a terrible thing to say i'm sorry no, it's I not will... a terrible thing to say at all. <laughs> yeah. um, I will say, though, like, Larry, your ability to, to harness that emotion and channel it through and write something that is, like, so personal is very, like, impressive to me. Like, I, I do, like, slights at sleight of hand, and I put, like, characters with my names into stories, but it's very much not me. Like, it's all, it's all artifice, and I do that intentionally to distance myself from these things. So to, to be able to, like, you know, open that up and put it on the page and to share it with readers and to do it so well, I think is just phenomenal. It's something I'm in awe of. Oh, geez, jeebers. Thanks. <laughs> I'm not used to getting compliments, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, get used to it, dude. Most like, of the feedback I, I get on my writing is from clients. They're like, oh, that ad sucks. You know, we're not talking business writing here. Because I, I, I know. So it's like actually get a to get a comment on something that I, that I'm actually proud of to get a compliment on is, is, is very, is very um blush inducing <laughs> so <laughs> i i i would like to ask robert what it's like to be such an underrated snack <laughs> like a hydrox almost yeah yeah <laughs> i was so gonna write on i went on there to write you're an underrated snack until someone had already beat me to it i'm like oh. <laughs> I'll take it. I've been called worse. I've been called much worse. <laughs> overrated snack. An overrated snack, for example, would be bad. <laughs> hack snack. <laughs> Actually, hack snack sounds like a Larry story with the cannibalism. <laughs> the cannibalism and necrophilia, put them together. Hack snack. <laughs> Furiously taking notes. <laughs> We've a percentage on that one. <laughs> You could do something hacky snack, you know, with hippies. Oh, uh, yeah. actually, something could be kind of fun with that, like a little shrunken head they're kicking around. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. I was, I was telling my students about <laughs> hacky sack the other day, and these are the this is a, a low beginner English as a new language class. So I they didn't like get what hacky sack was, but I like mimed it for them, and I felt like the biggest dickhead doing this in front of them and, and then literally i just and then afterwards i went and sat in my office for like three hours just staring at the floor like what am i doing that sounds like a tiktok trend of people just miming the like little factoids popping up it's like wrapped in plastic 
coming soon. <laughs> well, instead of how they're doing now with the little arrows, yeah, the little eyeball bouncing, the eyeball graphic bouncing around, almost like pop up video. <laughs> oh, I missed that. <laughs> Another dated reference. <laughs> we're dating. We're dating ourselves. We gotta stop. <laughs> The kids are gonna hate this, <laughs> Robert. I was very impressed with yours because I, I read the two stories that you highlighted. Um, I was I'm always very impressed with your ability to make like a very overarching narrative within what's not actually that much space. Like they feel like you know entire. I don't want to say movies because that's always sort of derogatory, but they feel like entire movies. <laughs> uh, like there's there's such a sweep and thrust to them that it's really awesome to see. I like lose my track as soon as I start getting beyond like something very like constrained. Like I have to like force myself into tiny little boxes or else I like fall like water, or, like old jello. But uh, the, the ones you had for a morning in sleepy hollow and the other one, uh, face for the gods. Oh, for the gods. Yes. Or for the gods. Yes. Those were just fantastic. I love those. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I originally had, um, I, I originally wrote, uh plays and screenplays so my the the whole uh dark moment three act structure william goldman bullshit is like very much ingrained um in my short fiction for sure but it's uh i appreciate that yeah i always think of like the short stuff as like okay this would be like a nice 80 minute breezy movie kind of thing because when i get to i have one story where i tried to do like a whole beginning middle and end like long thing and at the end i was like the conceit is that it's like a narrator telling you a story about their past. So at the end, I just like, and then it ended. And I'm like, I can get away with that because I have a very strong narrative voice. With yeah. the like, you know, let, let's pretend that it wrapped up in a pleasing way. Yeah. Oh, did. And I was like, yep, that's what I'm going to do because I can't tie this shit together. <laughs> I've, been, I've been loving longer fiction a lot lately. Like I've, I've just been so focused on that. I worry about going back to short fiction and not being able to like be succinct and tell you know a shorter narrative like for the gods again um so i'm gonna have to like work on that a little bit on my own just to kind of like get myself back into the swing of things oh my gosh the long long fiction scares me so much like i said i've never written anything longer than 5700 words i think and I, I it's it's just it just it terrifies me i i tried I'm, I'm a total pantser and i actually tried to outline my novella the other night and it 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 actually worked i think because i was a little high and it 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 came <laughs> <laughs> it's legal and i have the opposite effect so so it's it's good and um but man it's just terrifying i just don't know how am i gonna just keep writing something that just keeps going and going and going and my last two novels uh, the vile thing was not is 98,000 and yeah, thank you, William. I appreciate it, brother. And uh, curse of the cob man is 61 or 62. So like a little shorter, but still up there. And like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm vibing with the longer stuff. Like I'm just having, I'm having more fun, like stretching my legs with that. I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I don't know. It's very, very different two totally different art forms it's so cool though like be, playing in both sandboxes is so much fun i'm looking at this and thinking i maybe i can get fifteen thousand words out of this hopefully <laughs> i could get how about 20 could I, do i hear 20 <laughs> i just um 
I just signed a contract today for a chap book that's 12,000 words. I just, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, this is a little teeny tiny guy. Here you go. It's huge. <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 my collection's got 20 stories in it, you know, 10, 10, 10 reprints and 10 originals. And, and total, it's only 40 it's, pages long. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's 55,000 words. Like I said, one of them is 100 words long. You know? Oh, wow. Okay. It's, I oh, one of mine is a hundred words long too. Was it for that hundred word long anthology that was out a while ago? <laughs> no, no, mine was, oh, mine okay. was for a, a travel call for time travel stories. Oh, it, that's it's, cool. it's a little time loop story told in a hundred words, which is pretty easy to pull oh, off. Oh, nice. You know, my uh, my little hundred word guy was written during my MFA, and uh, they made us perform like because it was all online or whatever. And they're like, Yeah, you got to write something and perform for everybody and everyone was doing like this really sweet stuff or, or like, cause you know, some of the people I saw was doing, and I was like, I'm going to write one about a guy who wakes up with his skin on the inside. <laughs> How oh, that? Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is going to be cool. <laughs> My professors hated me. <laughs> well, that, that actually now I do have a question then for both of you. Um, when you're writing short fiction, how much of it do you think of in terms of, like prose like on a page versus performance like in a voice because so for my collection the title story uh gordon b weiss creating haunting weird horror like what as i wrote it i was like this is something that i'm going to read at readings like i i'm gonna pace it that way i'm gonna have like places for scary voices and whatnot i was like i'm gonna do that um but then other ones you know very much like i don't know that they would ever work read out loud <laughs> i think they gotta mm. be on the page to have their full effect I just out of curiosity when you two like come at that either you know in terms of putting together the collection or even just writing them like where's your thought process in there i i don't know that i've ever thought about this would be good at a reading um i mean my my, my writing process is kind of weird because some stories i just write all the dialogue and then just go back and fill everything else in because that, that's what i'm most comfortable writing or, you know, and, and so, so like, but, uh, but, but my necrophilia story, I, I did read that at StokerCon and, and it, it went over very well. It was, it was actually, you know, usually I, I'm so nervous reading, doing readings. So I, I will, I will take a Xanax beforehand, but I forgot them this time. So I said, fuck it. I'm going to be like George Costanza and do totally opposite man. So I just drank a shit ton of coffee and I was like, <laughs> up there back and forth. And everyone said, that's your best reading ever. So I was I was so excited, you know, and, and I'm 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 reading on um the, the Galactic Terrors thing for the New York um HWA next Thursday night. Uh me and Krista Carmen are both both reading together. Oh, nice. And I I told Carol, I said, Yeah, I'm gonna do this great necrophilia story that I, I read at StokerCon. And her I think her jaw just hit the floor. She's like, uh, we 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 try to keep this PG 13. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. Okay, do it anyway. I, I think of something else. Do it like, anyway. Basically, like going back to like cuddles then vigorously. <laughs> yeah. I've uh, I've done galactic terrors a few times. Do it. Do it anyway. What's uh, the worst like, that could happen? What's the worst that could happen that you didn't invite you back? Yeah, oh, well, that's true. Yeah, I, I, I'm friends with Jeff Strain, and I was talking to him about it. He said when he did galactic terrors, he did one that, in retrospect, they probably didn't like too much. <laughs> he's but Jeff I, Strand. He could do whatever he wants. Yeah, he, he, I'm I'm gonna read one that's in um and I, I think I'm gonna read it. It was in that uh, October Screams anthology that just came out from uh Kangas Khan publication or nice. publishing. 
And I look at the table of contents and then it's got like, you know, Ronald Malfi and Clay McLeod Champ Chapman and Brian Keene and all these people. And then there's fucking, there's me. I'm like, what? what yeah, you deserve, you deserve to be there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. you know? but it's, it's Keen, so Keen would say the same thing. Keen would say the same thing. So would Malfi. If you could take the two beers out of Malfi's hands long enough, he would say the same thing. <laughs> You know, I would gladly like, take one from him. Yeah. <laughs> I'll hold that for you, Ron. I don't know how that got empty. Just reach down and get it because he's like four feet tall. But like, uh, <laughs> I, I um, you can answer the question now. Ron. I, I totally went yeah. off on a tangent. What was the question again? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, about readings. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. If you think about that as, <laughs> as you're drafting, like, like, to what level do you consider the eventual performance of it versus reading? Yeah. I know that, the, you know, like in this particular collection, like I, I'm never going to read the story nibble live because like, especially at a local reading, because it's like super sexual and more than likely my mom is going to be there. So yeah. probably not going to read that one live. But I've read uh, A Morning in Sleepy Hollow live uh, before, and I get way into it to the point where I'm like, doing different voices. I'm like pretending to ride horses and like, I'm doing, you know, the whole thing. You gotta get the coconuts. The... I, should. <laughs> I should, I should, but um, yeah, I get really double act and I'll just do the, I'll just do the Foley behind you. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, yeah. So I think about that a lot. Um, you know, when I'm putting it together, I'm like, okay, well this one will be good to read. This one will be pretty good to read. I read a section from uh, the title story wrapped in plastic over the summer at a thing that the HWA New York did um, at this like botanical garden in Hell's Kitchen. And people were very creeped out with just like the opening, like two pages or whatever that I read. So I was like, cool, bingo. That's what I'm going to be reading in person then too. So I try to workshop them also like at, at smaller venues before I know like I'm going to have to give it more, if that makes sense. You're like a comedian at the comedy shop, like going on a Tuesday night to get your material like worked out before this. Yeah, I don't. Special. I like to. I like to look at people who read really well too, and sort of like like look at you know absorb as much as I can. Like Clay, Clay is probably the best yeah. reader in the game. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, like he's impossible to top. So like Clay, Teal James Glenn is another guy who's an incredible reader live. If you guys have never gotten to see him read live, like definitely check that out. But, um, you know, there's also um, Lee Murray is an amazing live reader also. So like I try and Linda Addison, especially is it a really amazing. So like I try to borrow as much from them too and uh, really put it all into that when I'm, you know, doing my thing. But there's always at least two to three stories in every collection that I know I can go to if I need it. Like I have um I have an event that's literally me telling scary stories the night before Halloween here in New York. And it's just me for like an hour telling scary stories. And I'm gonna read from like the new collection, my second collection. I'm gonna read from the vile thing. And it's just gonna be like all over the place. So everybody's gonna get a little smorgasbord of O-tone that night. <laughs> gonna extrude some scary stories on them. <laughs> I, I would like to go on record saying that when I did my reading, I did not act out having sex with a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. FBI. Yeah, you can walk away from the episode now. We're, we're good. It was all a sting just to get Larry to say that. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so we are over time. So, guys, this was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed this a lot. Let's go around the table just one more time. Uh, if you could kind of capstone this for our listeners. Again, who are you? Uh, what is your collection? And where and when can they expect to get their grubby little paws on it? Uh, starting with Larry. Okay, uh, I'm Larry Hinkle, H-I-N-K-L-E, not Hinkley, as a lot of people like to pronounce it. Uh, my, my collection is called The Space Between. It's coming out in February from um, Trepidatio Publishing. And you can find me all over the social stuff. Nice. Gordon? Uh, I'm Gordon B. White. Uh, you can find my collection. Gordon B. White is creating haunting weird horrors. Coming out October 13th. That's Friday the 13th. Uh, Pre-orders are up now. Orders will be up whenever. Um, you can find me too on social media everywhere as Gordon B. White. Either at Gordon B. White or GordonBWhite.com. It's very predictable, but uh, very easy to find. And, and Robert. I'm, thank you. Yeah, sorry. I talked over you, William. Oh. <laughs> um, huh, I'm Robert. <laughs> I'm Robert P. O'Tone, and uh, you can get my collection Wrapped in Plastic and Other Sweet Nothings October 27th from Journalstone. Um, it is available to pre-order now. They have all kinds of cute little special orders. You get like a free ebook. If you get the paperback to them, it's adorable. And um, I, you know, it comes out October 27th, and you can find me on Instagram and the Twitter and uh even on TikTok, I'm on TikTok at Robert underscore P underscore O-Tone. I don't know what I'm doing on there. I don't know what I'm doing on there. Does but you can find me on Instagram. Age, at least. What's that? <laughs> Does anybody our age know what they're doing on there? No, I don't think so. But Does you remind find... me hacky sacks for, for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at Robert O-Tone on Instagram and Twitter. But uh, yeah, buy all of our books. And, uh, you know, pre-order our books, get them, come and see us live if you can, whenever you can, wherever we are. Gordon is in the the PNW, the Pacific Northwest-ish area, and Larry is in Maryland, and I'm in New York. So come and see us. We don't bite hard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I would like just like to see that 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 little little move you did it's too bad this isn't videotaped you know? yeah. <laughs> now i'm gonna roll out the video on this just for that last little second thing. make it a gif I'll, I'll put that on my sorry guys i lied to you at the beginning of all this <laughs> <laughs> but on that note uh guys thank you so much for joining us listeners thank you for tuning in this is going to close us out for the week but please before you go do not forget to like Subscribe or hodgepodge together your favorite creepy shit on your streaming service of choice and stay spooky. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all. It's been a blast. <laughs>